Hello, this is Mr. Galley from GCSE English Revision Pod with a quick message for you. If you want even more English Revision Pod in your ears, you can now subscribe to our premium service, GCSE English Revision Pod Plus, where for the price of just over £2 a month, on top of all the amazing free episodes, which will continue to be free and there for you to use, you can also get a selection of amazing bonus episodes on things like Macbeth, A Christmas Carol, Romeo and Juliet, and all your favourite topics covered in the depth and detail that you are used to. If you are interested in getting even more GCSE English Revision Pod, all you've got to do is click the link at the top of this episode description, where you can subscribe to GCSE. English Revision Pod Plus. Hello and welcome to GCSE English Revision Pod. My name is Mr. Galley. And I'm Mr. Forster. We are very happy to um, have you here again today. We are going to move on to a completely different paper that we have not talked about before. This is um, this is for people doing AQA. However, we should say that anyone studying these texts these podcasts will still be useful for it would just be worth perhaps checking with your teacher or looking at how the question might be slightly differently structured to AQA but for anyone doing AQA this is us moving on to literature paper two and we are going to look at a question on a modern well modernist drama called an inspector calls yeah I mean, we did this because one of our listeners um actually sent us an email asking us to look at an inspector calls because that was an area that he was finding quite difficult absolutely and we are very happy to take your direction on that front so if you have a text or a question you would like us to work on we would very much like to hear from you the email address is english revision pod at gmail.com and yes drop us your suggestions and comments and we will be very happy to get to work on that and likewise we said last episode um um, if you have any specific follow-up questions about an episode that we did, anything that wasn't clear, mm. um, uh, do drop us an email and we can always clarify that for you. If you want to say something like, well, you know, I think Mr. Galley's input is fantastic, but Mr. Forster's is not so good. He kind of lets it down a little bit. That's fine. Let, let us know those kind of things. We're always, we're always eager to... I mean, you'd be very much in the minority if you thought that, but... Um... <laughs> Anyway, before we before we get too distracted, we should um, also say, of course, that as ever in the bio of this podcast, there is a link. If you go and click on that link or copy that link into your browser, you will be able to get the handout for this podcast, which includes the question, all the key vocabulary we use, all the key quotations from the text that we use, and also your key context, your AO3. And and a quick point on the vocabulary. I cannot emphasise enough, we've been discussing this as a department recently, how important your vocabulary is when Mm. trying to write sophisticated analysis. Mr Forster's been reading a book on vocabulary, which, trust me, listeners, we really do not want to get him started on. It is absolutely right, and we would uh, would implore you to use those for your reference and your revision. And the spellings are all included on the sheet. Mm, For free. For free. Wonderful stuff. So, the... Uh, question that we're going to look at then today. Yeah, so we're looking at a question. Uh, I think it's quite a simple character question to start us off. Explore the ways in which Priestley creates sympathy for the character of Sheila in an Inspector Calls. All right, interesting question. It's a character question. Now, I think, sir, if I can predict what some of our students are thinking, they are thinking this is one of the most difficult questions because the simple reason that you are not given an extract. Unlike paper uh, paper one, you are not given an extract for this question. Yeah, so I think I think literature paper two, obviously it is challenging for that reason. Um, because obviously with paper one, it's very easy. You start by analysing the extract, then you look at some other points in the text. But I 
when looking at character questions within Inspector Calls, at least, I think there's quite an easy way to structure them. Because of the arrival of the Inspector midway through Act 1, generally you want to structure a character question around what are they like at the start of the play, before they've encountered the Inspector. Then look at how do they respond to the questioning of the Inspector. And then finally looking at what kind of impact does he have on them in Act 3, what are they like at the very end. And then your conclusion, really, you're focusing upon what is their function in the narrative, what's, what, what is Priestley using this character for, what they represent how do they tie in with his didactic message about about edwardian society that's really interesting so what you're saying i suppose is that for any character question within an inspector calls apart from if the question was about the inspector himself yeah or, or perhaps eva smith or perhaps eva you are basically using the same or edna plan or edna but i don't the, think she'd come the, up the crafty edna question yeah perhaps um okay so that means, I guess, that you're starting off your essay by talking about Sheila at the beginning yeah. of the novel. Do you want to give it, because we haven't done a pod on Inspector Calls before, do you want to give a brief overview of the text itself? Yeah, so Priestley's play on Inspector Calls, written in 1945, uh, and it explores the flaws of capitalism and highlights the social inequalities of pre-war Britain. So it's set in 1912 even though it's written in 1945. It's set in a fictional industrial North Midlands town um, called Bromley, Mm -hmm. Um, and it centres on the Burlings, who are an affluent upper-middle-class family who are celebrating the the engagement of Sheila Burling and Gerald Croft. So when we first see this family, we're thinking, right, they've got money, they're not sort of... They're not... um the aristocracy they're not incredibly wealthy but they they've done fairly well out of life yeah they're, they're living in i mean the opening stage directions show that they're living a life of luxury they're living a life of luxury they're celebrating an engagement everything seems to be good in the burling household but midway through act one um the eponymous inspector comes on stage to tell them of the tragic suicide of a young working class girl eva smith who once worked in mr burling's factory as it transpires before being fired um who once worked in a shop where sheila uh, Mr. Burling's daughter visited before being fired because of her complaint, who was uh, perhaps even raped by Eric Burling, who was seduced by Gerald Croft, and who was finally rejected by Mrs. Burling when she went for help pregnant to her charity. So as the play progresses, we find out that they all had a role to play. Yeah, they're the all implicated in her death. And this essay is focusing just on Sheila. Okay. So I think what we want to look at initially is how... Um, Sheila initially seems far from a sympathetic character. So what I mean by this is that the audience don't necessarily feel sorry for her. Right, She seems quite puerile, quite frivolous and quite petulant. Okay. So uh, puerile means she's kind of silly, she's immature, she has um, frivolous, she has no serious purpose. And and petulant means she's actually quite sulky. She seems quite childish Mm. and immature. Spoiled. Spoiled is a very good way of thinking about it. She's a spoiled young child. She's treated differently from the men in the family, which we, we sort of see quite early on but yeah there's there's very little good about her at the start isn't it what what language are you looking at to support yeah. those ideas so so in the in the opening moments of the play she addresses her mother as mummy even though she's a woman in her early 20s she has this childish fight with her brother accusing him of being squiffy that means uh, a slang word meaning drunk and an ass and um, actually, as a result of this, she, she, this all seems indicative of her sheltered upbringing in the upper middle classes of late Edwardian Britain. She, she doesn't seem like she's seen the real world. OK, she's protected, she's sheltered, all this kind of stuff. And she's able to act like a little child, yeah. which is ironic, really, because we're seeing her getting engaged. Yeah, but even her engagement is focused on the superficial detail of what the ring looks like. Is right. it she says, uh, something like, is it the ring you chose me, Gerald? So it's not. it doesn't seem like a... The, the union is about true love and all that kind of stuff. It's more the kind of um, shiny 
glitzy yeah. side yeah. of marriage. And, and likewise, when she's questioned even by the inspector initially, mm. and she recalls her encounter with Eva Smith in Millwoods, she's quite patronising towards her. She says that she was lucky to get taken on at all. So her opinion was that a girl like Eva Smith was fortunate to even have a, a, a job in a shop that someone like her would go in. Yeah, and and to justify her actions against Eva Smith, complaining about her, when all Eva Smith did, in fact, was look better in a dress than Sheila would have done. Mm. She explains she was very pretty and looked like she could take care of herself. So this is a, a line that sets up the worldview of her kind of shallow, puerile world, that mm. in her world, looking good, being being beautiful is synonymous with being socially safe and not in any way vulnerable. And it's enough of a reason to hate someone as well. If someone yeah. looks better than you, then that's a reason not to like that yeah, person. She comes across as, as, as jealous. Bitter, un- unpleasant person. So the first paragraph, I suppose, our students would be would be perhaps looking to write is this idea that Eva does not come across very well at all at the start of the play. She comes across as this selfish, spoilt, immature young person with very little to recommend her. And in terms of the treatment of Eva, it's downright cruel. Yeah. Really. And in terms of what Priestley's doing, she seems to represent this class divide in late Edwardian society but, uh, of the upper middle classes who are cut off from the realities, the brutal realities represented by Eva Smith's tragic suicide. Right. And I think we can move from there, however, to say even whilst the inspector interrogates the family over their involvement in Eva's suicide, it becomes clear that she's far more sympathetic than her parents. Um, We immediately observe that she empathises with Eva Smith's plight and detests the manner of her dismissal from her father's factory, expressing how Mr Burling's actions were unfair and that it was a mean thing to do. That's interesting. She even takes issue with her father's dehumanisation of Eva Smith Mm. by suggesting that the girls aren't cheap labour they're human. I think that's a really interesting line to analyse. It's fascinating, isn't it? And I think actually the the fact that she contrasts her father's view that they're cheap labour with her view that they're human, it shows or it foreshadows what becomes a real key theme in the in the play and a key thing to talk about when analysing Sheila, which is that Sheila comes to represent the wisdom, the actual what needs to be learned, what people need to start believing and thinking if the world is going to be a better place. And that is one of those first moments when we see it. Yeah, and I think, and if looking technically this, um, because one challenge of analysing an inspector calls is because the language is far simpler, actually it's harder to get those high analytical marks than it is perhaps with something more complex like right, Shakespeare. Right, because the metaphors in Romeo and Juliet are so much deeper. You, so you much can't deeper. not analyse them. Right, yeah. Um, so one thing we could look at here is how when she says the girls aren't cheap labour, they're human, she's engaging with the way in which um, in which Mr Burling sees all of the workers in his factory. He, he, he reifies them as, as cheap labour. He sees them as this abstract thing, mm. as, as a resource, a commodity to be used. It's quite a disturbing metaphor their numbers when you really think spread, about well, it. He wouldn't have a spreadsheet, but their numbers on a list as <laughs> Precisely. far as he's Whereas concerned. What, what she acknowledges instead is their individuality. And this is even before she's learnt of her own involvement. Mm-hmm. And we saw, see also that in her response to the inspector's description of how Eva died after several hours of agony, she says she felt rotten and can't stop thinking about it. Okay, so straight away, when she hears about Eva Smith we see a change start to come across her that's why she contrasts the older generation so strongly is because the moment the inspector tells her what happened to Eva Smith we see a seed of change being born in Sheila yeah and by the end of act one we see this kind of pronounced effect she says it was her own fault she also seems far less naive and unlike her mother she recognizes that we mustn't 
try to build up a kind of wall between them and that girl mm. because the inspector will just break it down. It's a really crucial metaphor, this, I think. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's, and it represents more, I suppose, than just the dynamic between the Burlings and Eva Smith. The wall, I think, that um, Sheila is talking about is um, the wall between the whole of the upper classes and the working classes you know this idea that a wall you can't see through it you know so those the suffering of others you can put it on the other side of the wall you don't need to worry about others you can put them out of sight and just benefit from the cheap labor yeah and in the most famous production of an inspector calls which was revived over the last couple of years mm, I went to the, see it. the staging in fact emphasizes this um because the whole of the play takes place the burlings exist in this tiny it looks like a doll's house in the center of the stage yeah and the rest of the stage um, is, is filled with craters and looks very much like the London actually of 1945 of mm. the Blitz and the play ends with their the house exploding an yeah. obvious metaphor for this cosy insular world that's been walled off from the rest of society being broken down by the two world wars yeah. just like the class system um, to a certain extent was broken down by the two world wars of the first half of the 20th century and that was, that was the historical sort of um, AO3 contextual point that can be brought in another thing I think you students could say about um that me- that Sheila using that metaphor there is that the inspector himself uses some quite interesting metaphors doesn't he does he describe society of a ch- as a chain yeah he, yeah he, t- uh, he talks about the, the chain linking everyone together and therefore and <coughs> and the, the suggestion therefore is that you c- that, that, that we're connected that there, there isn't this divide between the classes if so- so a bit of a stretch and challenge point could perhaps be that by engaging with these kind of metaphors to describe society, Sheila's coming towards the inspector's way of thinking. Yeah, she seems to recognise the inspector's socialist agenda and and actually take on his voice. She functions almost as a mouthpiece for the inspector when mm. he's left the stage in Act 3. And then there's this big revelation. So I think sort of moving forward into the play, she responds quite well to the inspector's question she starts looking at herself and taking a level of responsibility for what she did yeah and then we we come to this revelation that her husband-to-be was also involved yeah i think perhaps our final kind of paragraph before our conclusion would be looking at how with the revelation of gerald's infidelities in act two that he has actually had a relationship with eva smith Mm -hmm. during a summer when he said he was too busy classic excuse we give to the wife (laughs) busy at the works exactly i mean he's uh gerald's yeah um, and she, she seems presented in far less ambivalent terms after this. She's a very sympathetic character. She lacks power. She lacks agency in the Burling family. Right. And But she she really comes out of that, doesn't she? She really starts to take control of the situation. And I think a kind of structural point that students could say is just looking at Sheila's role within the conversation. At the beginning of the play, you've got this kind of quite sort of silly, immature character who has no real role in the conversation beyond the superficial. By the end, she's interrupting, she's commanding, she's setting the agenda of the conversation. Yeah, she becomes this proto-feminist figure. Right. What do you mean by that? So this is a term for women who are starting to take on feminist values, but before first wave feminism, which really kind mm. of takes takes real shape with the suffragette movement and the wake of the in, in the wake of the First World War. Which so. had, of course, happened before. Yeah, it started. Previously. The process has started. Yes. Um, uh, and uh, and she seems yeah she 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 tries to take control and she tries to react against a world that is trying to um, shut her out. So mm. for example, um, when when Gerald says that she should be protected from un- unpleasant and disturbing things, her sarcastic response is that. Um, he obviously must think that she's getting hysterical. Mm. And this is a really important word, I think. 
So it's a word with overt misogynistic connotation because it's implying that women act in an irrational and overexcited mm. manner that, unlike a man, she can't handle... Um, the, she should be protected. She should be protected. She, she shouldn't see the reality of the world. And, of course, the, the deep irony there is that she's actually possibly the only character who, who sees the really truth. engages with it. And she's, she's, in a sense, what students might want to explore is that she's the last person who needs to be protected from it. She's, in fact, the only person who is reacting Precisely. properly to it. And the real misogyny of that word hysterical can be seen, actually, in where the word comes from. It comes from the Greek, actually, meaning of the womb. So oh, the wow. idea that, that, that being irrational in, in the world of eight later Edwardian society is, being, is associated with being a woman. Yeah. So, so I, I think we've, we quite sympathise, certainly a modern audience very much sympathises with Sheila in this moment because mm. we see that although she is far-sighted, although she has had this transformation, although she, unlike her parents, has had this moral and social epiphany, right. recognising what was wrong with society, no one listens to her because mm. she's a woman. So, so many, so much criticism of society in the representation of Sheila. So, I think students are continually, really in every paragraph of this essay, you would be drawing on an AO3 point, wouldn't you? Yeah. And, and I think in, in Act 3, she says that her, um, she says that to her parents, after her parents, um, they, uh, they're, they're kind of very happy that the inspector's left and they find out he perhaps wasn't even a real police inspector. Uh. And she says sarcastically, I suppose we're all nice people now. Um, as uh. in, recognising that that they haven't listened to the inspector's message. Yeah. They haven't learnt what um, Priestley wants them to have learned and what the inspector wants them to have learned. There's that, and there's that real divide at the end um, that you see between old and young, isn't there, at that point? Yeah, time? so a bit of a structural point here. So you can say how Priestley sets up this divide between the older generation who are static and socially conservative in their views. They won't change. They won't yeah. accept change. Um, and Sheila, who's been visibly shaken, the stage directions, for example, say how she shivers and she speaks tensely while her fa- family callously seek to move on with their lives. She even says, it frightens me the way you talk. Yeah, that shows the the level of her transformation, doesn't it? That she's thinking of it as it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether ultimately, of course, it would be great if the girl hadn't died. But it doesn't change anything about what they did. They still committed the bad acts. And Sheila is the only, perhaps along with Eric, is the only one who sees that actually the consequences aren't what's important. It's your intentions and your actions. Yeah, and I think that can draws us towards the conclusion where we always want to think in the conclusion why is Priestley constructing the character in this way? What does she represent? Because this is a play with a very clear didactic message. So that means it's it's teaching us something. Mm-hmm. And I think what she comes to symbolise is the younger generation that Priestley believed could change. So of course, the gener- her generation in 1912 would, by 1945, be the very people voting in Clement Attlee, the first Labour Prime Minister. Mm. Um, and they are the, the younger generation in this play. Therefore, are, are, are a representative of who Priestley, where the potential lay in the world. Priestley seem, seems to believe. So Priestley's saying, "Look, young people, you can make the world a better place." You know, the the Sheilas and the Erics of the world. Even though Sheila and Eric weren't great characters, and arguably, you could argue for a long time about how much forgiveness they deserve or don't deserve. But they they had the capacity to change and make the world a better place. Precisely. Right. I think that would be that would be quite a good essay if that was put all together yeah and as i said if any of the 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 vocabulary there was very challenging don't forget to go and check a how to spell it and um and b exactly the precise meaning of the words because i think vocabulary is key to writing a really good essay yes as we said at the start of the podcast you can download the handout which has everything 
that we have talked about. If you uh, if you get your podcast from Acast or iTunes, I think you can just click on the link. But for some reason on Spotify, you can't click on the link in the uh, in the bio. I don't know what that is. I've been trying to sort it out, but I'm uh, incredibly unskilled at this kind of stuff. But if you just copy and paste the link into your browser from Spotify, that will take you to the uh, the handout all the same. Excellent. On that technical note. Yeah, on that, <laughs> I think we will leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us. As we said, EnglishRevisionPod at gmail.com. Uh, we'd love to hear your suggestions of what you'd like to hear us talking about. And we will see you very soon. In fire and blood and anguish. Good night. <laughs>